You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony. Alan Shoes is the voice of books for NPR's All Things Considered. His latest books include A Trance After Breakfast, An Authentic Captain Marvel Ring, and he has a new forthcoming novel. Let's talk a little bit about that, uh, Alan. That's coming out next year. Uh, tell In us March, about, yes. Uh, what is it? It's actually uh, something that, um, I mean, we. I have a lot to say about it. I don't want to take up our whole time now, but... It's a revised version of a novel I published in 1986 called The Grandmother's Club. So I've revised it and ever so slightly, but I think I've changed the pitch of how to read it because I've repunctuated it. Uh, and um, I mean, that may sound odd, but to say or to hear, but I mean, I wrote I wrote it in the fever pitch of my early modernist period, <laughs> and the punctuation uh, was not particularly reader-friendly, but um, so now I've revised it and changed the title to Prayers for the Living, and it's coming out as the first book of a new publishing house called Fig Tree Books in March. Well, we'll look forward to that conversation because I think that's really interesting. I'm very interested in rereading. I just wrote a whole piece for KQED about rereading mm-hmm. books. Oh, really? Yes. Yeah, so because um, I'd spoken with uh, Maureen Corrigan about rereading Gatsby. Gatsby. I'd spoken yeah. with Azar Nafisi about rereading Huck Finn and Babbitt. Yeah. Yeah. And the Heart we could, is talk, we could talk a little bit about uh, Corrigan's book because I've, I've just read it. I'm about to go down to the Miami Book Fair uh, and do a conversation on stage with her about her and Fitzgerald and Gatsby. And, uh, I mean, the book, the book is really uh, very nicely uh pointed in what it calls to mind about one's reading about Fitzgerald and the life of an American writer that just almost almost ends as horribly as as, uh, Melville's with most of his work out of print and and the writer destitute. Let's talk a little bit about it right now. Okay. Um, One of the things I liked about that book was I thought she did a good job of combining uh, a nice pocket bio of Fitzgerald, a pocket bio mm-hmm. of the book, mm-hmm. and a look at just the whole process of rereading it and how it was read then and how we mm-hmm. read it now. I thought that, yeah. you know, economy matters in these kind of things. Well, it you know, it, it does something, she does something in that book that I, I always find endlessly fascinating, which is the, the reception of a, of a book. Um, you know, what do the early reviews do with it? What do early readers do, if any of them exist? Uh, and how, in the case of Gatsby, it, it kind of dies and then comes back for a second and third life. Um, and she does that very, very nicely. And includes a kind of, uh, I mean, she's a critic. She's not a, not a scholar, but she does a nice uh, sub-narrative about looking for information about the the early publication of Gatsby and so on. Um, find, finding herself in a storeroom in the basement of the of the, uh, the, the Library of Congress here with uh, tons of cartons, none of them 
labeled anything but alphabetically. You know, what I liked about it, too, was that for a work that includes criticism, biography, and, you know, a scholarship, uh, she does a good job of telling a story. And I think that that's Mm -hmm. essential in capturing the reader's interest, holding the reader's interest, Mm -hmm. and in getting us involved in this whole process of uh, Mm rereading Gatsby and just the idea of the importance of rereading in general. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, Although, I mean, on that question of rereading, I have to say I, I did a piece little piece on rereading for the Chicago Tribune some years ago and uh, received a nasty letter saying, rereading? I, I have a full-time job trying to raise my family and barely have time to read anything once, and you're rereading. <laughs> so it's, a, you know, it's, it's, it's hard to do that if you're trying to live a life and um, well, it's know, like anything spend some else. leisure time. It's like anything else. You make time for it. You, you yep. allocate time for it. And I think that well, uh, pieces look, like yours and books like this point out that it's worth going back. It's worth revisiting. You know, it's Oh, not, uh, it certainly is because every good book is a mirror of oneself. Uh, you know, you read something at 19 and then it, you read it at 27. It's slightly different. You read it at 50. It's changed utterly, all for the better, I think, for most books. I mean... Let's say Catcher in the Rye, which might be the quintessential teenage novel, uh, is something I read on it on the 50th anniversary of its publication, and it it really turned out to be a a, a lovely book still. Um, whereas I don't know, maybe these vampire novels that teenagers read these days might not exactly turn out to be something they'll remember fondly if they try to reread them again. That said, it's just, um, you know, it's like the old saw. It's not the same book, and you're not the same reader. Yeah. <laughs> you can't. You, and, right. and there's an old Borges story called uh, Pierre Menard, author oh, of the author Quixote. Of Don Quixote, right. Yeah. yeah, and it just points out that the meanings of words have changed in the interim. I mean, everything's changed, so that a rereading of, of Gatsby now is light years different than... In high school, I mean, we have a different understanding of economy, and that in itself really colors the way you look at it. Yes, and she points out a lot of the reviews and commentaries about the novel when it first came out suggested that it was a, a sort of high-class thriller about the you know gangsters in, in Prohibition days, <laughs> uh, which is again, you know, like said, you know, people reviewing Moby Dick saying it's it's all about whaling. <laughs> Right. Well, um, as they, as uh, my favorite uh, Melville character said, I would prefer not, not to. to. Yes, right. <laughs> well, let's get to some modern day thrillers that, that who knows, they, we may be talking about them 50 years hence or not. Uh, let's start with Last Days in Shanghai by Casey Walker. Uh, mm-hmm. This looks like uh, it is, in fact, and looks like a page turning thriller about how the, you know, China's experience of the capitalist economy is no more uh, clean than is ours. But again, those kind of perceptions, are, I think, become more important. Yeah, I mean, it's as much about, although it's as much about American politics as Chinese politics. I mean, it, it, it you know, it focuses on this uh, congressional aide who trails along with his uh, whiskey-guzzling boss on this uh, trip to China, 
and uh, he ends up holding a suitcase full of American dollars, which the Chinese have passed along to the, to him at this crazy banquet. The congressman, if you remember, is off somewhere, completely drunk, and so the the aide goes to this dinner where the congressman is supposed to have been in attendance, and they mistake him for the congressman and hand him this suitcase full of money, and he spends the rest of the novel trying to get out of China, get out of Shanghai, and gets uh, tied up with a number of high and low Chinese political characters and police characters. Well, I think it was really... uh, I thought it it combined... Um, I did a great job at combining, you know, the thriller elements and mm-hmm. the the page turning elements with, you know, some un- incisive looks at, you know, this kind of cross cultural politics. Yeah, yeah, and there's even a, you know a touch of romance in, in this uh, his encounter with the uh, administrative assistant to one of the Chinese wheeler and dealers is uh, that this money has something to do with. Um, it, it's really nicely done, and there's so much drinking in it that, you know, you, it really is a, a sobering experience to read. <laughs> it lends itself to drinking games, I guess, in a sense. But also, too, I think it's a fun book to read. I mean, it, it's it's engaging and entertaining, even as it kind of captures you in these uh, various webs. Yeah, it gives you the impression that Casey Walker... Uh, I guess it's a man. I don't know. It could be a woman. And that was an awful lot about what it's like to work on Capitol Hill, <laughs> and and more than we want to know about what it's like to go off on a junket with a congressman. Yeah. Well, that's one of the things that you know. This book does give the feeling have that nice kind of insider feel to it. And and also, I mean, one of my favorite moments, kind of a vertiginous moment, when. Uh, our protagonist is up on the was it the 55th floor of a new Chinese hotel, and he feels the building rocking back and forth in the wind. Which is, I mean, pretty much every page on the no, in the novel gives you that feeling. You know, something is pretty dangerous to be up there. Well, uh, I, it's certainly worth uh, anybody's valuable reading time, and as is Ron Rash's new collection of short stories. He's uh, well-known as a novelist and uh, a poet, so let's talk about... uh, Yeah, well, you know, the interesting thing is it's a selected stories, and I think there's only one, maybe two stories that have come out in this this present year, and everything else has been anywhere from three to five to a dozen years old, but brought all together. I mean, it's it's a, a wonderful thing to read through because uh, there's, I don't think there's an area clunker I mean, in all these 30-plus stories. And, and the title story, Something Rich and Strange, is really one of the most wonderful short pieces I've read in a long time. You know, that that comes from, uh, you know, Shakespeare's song in the in uh, The Tempest, Full Fathom Five, Thy Father Lies. A coral are his bones, uh, and as coral as his eyes, I can't... For he has suffered something rich and strange, a sea change, yeah. Um, can I read the opening? I would sure, to... that would be great. She follows the river's edge downstream, leaving behind her parents and younger brother 
who still eat their picnic lunch. It is Easter break, and her father has taken time off from his job. They have followed the Appalachian Mountains south, stopping first in Gatlinburg, then the Smokies, and finally this river. She finds a place above a falls where the water looks shallow and slow. The river is a boundary between Georgia and South Carolina, and she wants to wade into the middle and place one foot in Georgia and one in South Carolina so she can tell her friends back in Nebraska that she's been in two states at the same time. And uh, we do see her in two states at the same time because, and this is not a spoiler, the whole story works on this uh, fact that as soon as she steps in uh, and takes a second step, she's swept away in the river and drowns. So she's not just in two, two U.S. states. She's in life and death before the story ends. And it's just a remarkable piece of short fiction. Uh, I think that can be said for, as you said, for every piece in here. And one of the things that a great uh, collection of short stories like this reminds us of is how powerful the form can be mm-hmm. and how different it is from novels and any other kind yeah. of reading experience. And I think Ron Rash does a great job. I mean, these are stories are all tightly focused on one, like mostly on one region in the United States, the Appalachians. I mean, uh, for all that kind of uh, minutia focus, it, the kind of themes and the way he evokes his characters, it's really um, deep and rich at the same time, even though the, each story is, is relatively short. Yeah, and he also, we have, to, we have to credit him for going back in time and writing what, to my mind, are some of the best Civil War stories. Uh, do you want to cut out that? Did you hear that noise? I uh, know. Somebody trying to for, for, We have to credit him for writing some of the most wonderful Civil War stories that uh, that anybody has produced, uh, especially there's the one called Lincolnites, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. where this young pregnant woman is left at home while her husband's fighting for the for the North, and a local uh, Confederate comes by. He's trying to steal as much as he can for himself and for uh, the Confederacy, and uh, she takes her life and his life in her hands in order to survive his visit. It's really a brilliant and, and, and very moving story. Lincolnites, it's called. Yeah, it's it it's one of the things I think that he does well is to, um, and that you have to do in a short story is to immediately put us in a character, immediately put us in a place, and make us comfortable so you can take the story forward from there. Yeah, and, and that's take a, it, right, and take it into very odd and magical places upon occasion. Yeah, well, this is a a collection that totally lives up to its title, Something Rich and Strange by Ron Rash. And you can buy this, and it's a figure, it's a good gateway drug to all his other collections, his poetry, his novels. I mean, this is one of the um, great aspects of short story collections is that they are a good way to get introduced to a to a writer or to yeah. a variety of writers. And I, I know that there's a lot of talk among the publishers. They're not fond of short story collections. No, they, they, never, they never, never have been. And, and I think that they underestimate, in doing so, they under-publicize them and they underestimate the readers. And this is a great way for somebody to pick this up 
and read enough of this stuff to go say, man, I like this stuff and I like this uh, Civil mm -hmm. War stuff. And mm -hmm. all of a sudden you've got people who are normally reading Civil War novels reading Ron Rash novels, which is a, a, that's a great yeah. thing. And two, um, the short story also lends itself to our more hectic uh, lifestyle. Yeah, it's kind of like a guy, a, a, a guy sidling up to you in a crowd saying, hey, you got a minute? And he hands you something that changes the day. Um, but, you know, he's, he's, he's fairly well-known, I agree, but he's not as well-known as he may well be after uh, the movie of his novel Serena comes out next year with Jennifer Lawrence and Bradley Cooper. So uh, he's doing okay. Well, and, we'll and look he's probably going to do better. We'll look forward to uh, the movie. Hopefully they'll do the book justice, although in my opinion, one is always well advised to read the book first. Right. Always, always, always. It's No matter how good the movie is, it's always best to read the book first. And... I don't know if they'll be making any movies soon of Nicholson Baker's Traveling Sprinkler because... Rick, but, your, your voice is breaking up. <clears throat> Rick, your voice is breaking uh, up. Can is you hear me? me? Uh, yeah, I can hear you, but it, it was breaking up there. Mm -hmm. um, does that affect the recording? Uh, I, on my side, it's not breaking up. Oh, okay. So, okay. So, but okay. I'll just... Uh, I'll Let's go back. I'll restart that. We are not likely to see the... A movie of Nicholson Baker's Traveling Sprinkler, but that none does not diminish one bit the charm of this man and his characters and this wonderful, <laughs> engaging book. I had so much fun reading this book. I really like this poet character. I followed, I read both the books and I followed them through. And I, I, I mean, you give me a, bo a book titled Traveling Sprinkler, I'm already partway there. Well, he's yeah. You know, I mean, talk about talk about not making a movie of it. It would, it would be like an Andy Warhol movie. You know? <laughs> the, the M, remember Empire Empire State? Is that the one where he simply photographs the top of the Empire State Building for twenty four hours? <laughs> Sounds about right. Yeah, and changing light and so. Uh, yeah, the, he's really a, a rather delightful uh, puzzle of a writer. I mean, the the character in these two books. Uh, you know, he's a he's a would be poet, a published poet actually, and and then he becomes a musician, and he writes an awful lot about poetry in the one that precedes this, the anthologist, and an awful lot about music in Traveling Sprinkler. Um, the long story being that his wife is getting kind of annoyed with him because he can't uh, finish his work, and she leaves. And then she comes back in this novel. That's not a spoiler either. But um, and in between, he does uh, a lot of very ordinary things, uh, including setting up this sprinkler that travels across his lawn. Um, it, it, it is so deceptively uh, ordinary that it's kind of a little triumph in itself. I saw him on the Colbert Report. Um, and that, that it's worth looking that up on finding that link because um, two is like the, the meeting of two uh, intergalactic species. <laughs> I mean, he, he actually completely flummoxed Colbert. Colbert was speechless for about a minute of this two-minute interview. And he turned, you know, a great comedian that he is, Colbert turned his speechlessness into, uh, you know, something that made everybody laugh because Baker 
tried to explain what he was doing in this novel. And Colbert obviously had no understanding of what he was saying and just did not speak. <laughs> I mean, it was amazing little. I mean, I, I, I'm going on stage at the Miami Book, Book Fair with uh, Nicholson. I hope I'll be able to speak uh, with him. I think I can. Uh, I mean, we're, talk, we're talking about it now, so that'll help me prep for that event. Well, uh, I actually interviewed him about this book, uh-huh. and it was re- he was really fun. <clears throat> I had a great time because, well, for one thing, it, you talked about all the music stuff in this book. This is all stuff that I, I, I personally am familiar with, all this MIDI technology and all this kind of new songwriting stuff. It's really interesting. He does mm-hmm. a great job of bringing that up, but I, I just like his kind of, he has such a light-hearted touch. And mm-hmm. light, he's in such lighthearted touch with yeah. life. It's really just a joy to to be with this guy. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm looking forward to it. And anybody who reads these novels will find themselves in the presence of a, a wonderful. It's almost like a, a Samuel Beckett act. Um, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it's a, like a charming Samuel Beckett character brought to life and sitting down and saying, "Hey." I'm done with the play. Let me tell you about what I'm doing when I'm not on stage. Yeah, 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 yeah. Works really nicely, and and it's just utterly charming. Uh, it, it reminds me of the, the definition of modernism, without even knowing there was going to be such a term that Swift uh, writes about in his wonderful polemic, The Battle of the Books. He says, I shall now perform the miraculous act of writing about nothing. <laughs> And that that's actually uh, one of the books that Stanislaw Lem reviews in uh, A Perfect Vacuum is a, a book about nothing. And he, he does a great job of reviewing a book about nothing that he has himself has invented. But, I mean, Baker is really, well, what is he writing about? He's writing about the quizzical feeling that comes over you when you're trying to live your life. Yeah. Hour by hour, day by day. Yeah, he writes about everyday life in a manner that is as thought-provoking as when you're dealing with the most monumental consequences. You still have those monumental feelings in you when you're just going about doing whatever you do. They just they don't have any monumental uh, ob- objects. So I guess of, we could have predicted this from his first book, The Mezzanine, which is all about a, a ride that a guy takes from the bottom of an escalator to the top. <laughs> <laughs> and there we are at the top of the escalator with Last Days in Shanghai by Casey Walker, a novel about espionage and China and capitalism and graft. So We Read On by Maureen Corrigan, her take on The Great Gatsby, how it came to be and why we still read it. Something Rich and Strange, The Selected Stories of Ron Rash, and Traveling Sprinkler, now out in paperback by Nicholson Baker. I've been speaking with Alan Shoes. His latest book is a collection of short stories and authentic Captain Marvel ring. Thank you for speaking with me, Alan. Always a pleasure, Rick. You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony.